you couldn't have convinced me of that in the beginning. I know. You know, in the beginning, I thought we're all going to love each other just like we were one family to begin with. Right. And you don't. The truth is you don't. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Well, David. Lori. We are continuing our month of men. Yes, we are. We started off with one of your kids. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness he's 20, so he could fall into the month of men category. <laughs> yep. And this fella that we're going to talk to has been blending for three years. Mm-hmm. He has one stepson and three bio kids. Mm-hmm. His ex is deceased. Mm-hmm. So that adds a twist. Yeah, that's a that's a challenge that I don't think people realize that when the bio parent is deceased, the kids don't just say, oh, cool, let's find another, another bio parent. It's okay. I mean, they still have the whole, you know, my mom is there. She's not present with us, but she's there, or my dad, or whatever. Yeah, or the, you're not my mom. Right. Yeah. They're not really the whole step family thing. I think the dynamics of it at least go back to where, go back to a time where that was really kind of what people did. There was the step family piece happened when a parent was deceased, and then another person would step in and be the step parent, and they actually did parenting. Right. But that paradigm shift has long happened, and it's not that way anymore. Well, and he makes a comment that his current wife feels like that she's competing with a ghost. Oh, yeah. Well, she is. She's competing with the memory of mom. Not just that, but when there's not a divorce there, oftentimes you don't have a lot of the negativity that helps out, I guess you could say. Like, for example, I got divorced. I don't have any love loss for my ex. And so it's not like you're competing with her. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But when you have a place where, let's say if you passed away today, you know, if I got remarried, which I won't, but if I got remarried, then that person's not competing with you in a state of mind that I would be in where I don't like you and I'm glad you're gone. It would be a state of mind where I remember all the good times we had. And how much I loved you and how much I miss you and all that. So that's tough. And, you know, I have friends that their husbands have passed away. And I see it on Facebook posts where they'll say happy heavenly anniversary to, you know, their husband that's passed away. Mm -hmm. But they always feel that it's necessary to also say, thankfully, we have Billy Joe here to take care of us while you're gone. It's like they feel like they can't grieve that loss properly without hurting their new person. Right. So it's it's definitely a different dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I, this is one of those things where I've not been there. And so I'm certainly not speaking out of any experience other than what I've heard and read. But I think it's a challenge that everybody has to face. Because in some way, I think I would kind of feel, like, like let's say, for example, you and I were in that situation. Let's say that you came from a, a relationship where the person passed away. Part of me would be understanding about how you feel. But another part of me would be like, okay, but let's just move on. Let's not keep revisiting this. Right. I, that's just how I feel about it. Now, whether or not that's actually what would happen, because I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know. 
But I think that's the way I would feel. I would part, I'd partly be in the camp of, I want to help you get through this. And I understand you're, you're still in this grieving process that takes a long time, but come on, (laughs) you know, after several years, it's like, I'm here now. Can we put this behind us and move forward with just us, not us and the, and the person who passed? But I don't know. That's tough. That's kind of like when Branson asked me how long I was going to cry over my mama dying. Mm -hmm. As long as it takes. You know, I might go a month without crying. I might go a year without crying, but I'm probably going to cry again about it. Yeah. So my thing is, if your ex died, Mm -hmm. I'm going to refrain from several comments I want to make, but (laughs) if your ex had died... Then and we were, let's say she died when we were in a good place. Right. Then part of me, I think, would be like, well, he's only with me because he can't be with her. Yeah, that's a good point. And then it would be, you know, he still wants to be with her, but he can't. It's not the same as, like you said, a relationship went bad. Yeah. And we've even had people that are divorced and the ex dies and they still have a different feeling towards the ex since they have passed away. Hmm. It's almost like they're more forgiving of the bad that happened in that relationship. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like it's easier to hate somebody when they're alive. (laughs) I'm sure it is. (laughs) But we're not saying that Michael hated his wife. They had a good relationship. She died of cancer. He says that he thinks that his kids long for the good that they remember. Of course. But here's what's funny, David, is most of the time we remember the bad. Until somebody passes. Well, I still remember the bad with my mama. (laughs) Well, I think it's more guilt than anything. But so his kids are thinking, but you and mom had the best relationship and life was great and we never had issues. And he's like, it was not like that. Yes, I loved your mother, but we did have issues. We did fight. We did argue. But you don't remember that part. Yeah. Or, Or they may not even have seen them. Right. You know, I know that my, me and my ex had issues, obviously, and the kids never saw it, but they were also younger. And so I think it was easier to hide stuff then when you were fighting. If you were mad at each other, the kids never picked up on it. I see. I would, I would disagree with that. I think that when you're mad, it changes the whole feeling of the home. No, when you're mad, it changes the whole thing. (laughs) Even when you are. It does now because. Well, I mean, I think like Jackson's dad, okay, you know, we were never together after he was born. But I still think that Jackson picked up on the not so loving feelings that were there as a baby. Yeah, I'm sure. I guess it depends on how much you hated each other. Yeah, because (laughs) sometimes you get you get an argument and it's let's say it's not necessarily a verbal argument that anybody hears. Everybody's kind of stressed out about what's happening. You know, if I go to another room or if I go somewhere else, then it's not like both of you are sitting there ignoring each other or, or stewing over it. Like, for example, I if I came, if I got mad at my ex, I would just go spend time with the kids playing or doing whatever and not focusing on what, what she's mad about. Right. And so the kids probably never notice because I'm spending time with them, not, you know, letting them see what's happening, I guess. Well, I guess it depends on, too, how well you are at compartmentalizing I'm pretty good at it. Ah, uh, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to to say that there's there's a lot of dynamics that goes into relationships. Period, and I think people oftentimes don't give the blended family as much grace as they gave the nuclear family. Right? There's a lot of the same issues, a lot of the same things happen, but for some reason, the blended family gets looked at as being so much worse. 
mm-hmm. than the bio family. Everything's just magnified. Yeah, because we, when we talk to people and we're coaching them and, and they say things like, well, the kids are fighting. You know, my bio kid this and my step kid this and they're fighting. And we're, you know, you and I are looking at each other going, this is, this is what kids do. Bio kids do that. Well, more so me. I have four boys. You had one. And I would say that to you oftentimes when they were fighting each other because, you know, one of my kids would be fighting with yours. And I say, that's just what they do. I mean, they're not hitting each other. They pick in and they're doing all these other things. But again, even though we say that some of it would be the same as nuclear issues, it's mm-hmm. not because my son doesn't have that bond with your kids. So when they're picking on him, it's not like he's like, oh, that's just brotherly love or that they had this unconditional love for each other. They don't. No, they don't. But <laughs> at the same time, our kids would not have been able to bond if I would have constantly intervened. That is absolutely true. Because and, and my kids were much meaner to each other than they ever were to Jackson. Lord. <laughs> but the thing is, I had to remember that my sisters and I fought like crazy. Yeah, like literally fought. Yeah, like stab <laughs> each other in the head with stuff. So, <laughs> but some of those are the best memories. <laughs> the best memories? Yeah. You don't have any memories because you got stabbed in the head to me. Yeah, that's, that's, hey, that explains it. <laughs> but that's what sisters do or brothers do. So when your stepkid and your bio kid are fighting, you have to go, mm, is that the brotherly or sisterly or sibling bond trying to form or are they just being bullies? Yeah. I mean, I remember even going to the nursery as a kid and you'd always have other kids that you'd have disagreements with or you'd, you know, they pick on you or whatever. And in some cases, actually in in a lot of cases, um, you'd end up being friends with them at some point. Now, sometimes that friendship came after you punched them in the face. (laughs) Yeah. I'm shaking my head. (laughs) David, we're going to have to start doing videos, no, I think. I'm telling you, it's funny because, all right, you know Greg. You've met him a couple of times. He he doesn't live close by. but you Is remember? he the one that we met at the Christmas thing? Yes. We, okay. went, we went to the, the Christmas Santa Claus train ride thing, whatever. And so you met Greg. Right. Greg, I mean, every time I meet him, he talks about this incident that happened in high school where I got in a fight with some people. And... Won't go into that, but he talks about it every time I see him. It's, I guess it made a huge impression on him. <laughs> and this has been, what, 30-something years ago? So Greg, and he doesn't remember this, but Greg and I went to the nursery together as kids, and he terrorized me as a kid. I remember one time I latched onto the calf of his leg with my teeth. Oh, gosh. Because he was punching me in the face. But he doesn't remember that. No, and he kept hitting me, and I just I just bit into his leg, and I just tried my best to rip his calf off. <laughs> and I don't know how old I was. I was probably five or six or something. I don't know. But I remember how I hated him. And then later on in life, we end up you know in school together, at like the high school or whatever. We became great friends. <laughs> but he does never remembers that. But uh, anyway. Well, it's funny that you were saying that, though, because my sister and I were talking the other day about this little friend she had. I mean, she might have been six or seven. And I remember she wanted to go to this little girl's house. And mama said, well, I need to know her parents name. And Courtney's like, duh, Mr. and Mrs. Blanks. (laughs) And of course, that's not what my mom was asking. But I told her, I said, I was thinking about her the other day and that story. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I remember about this little girl. 
That's it. And Courtney's like, you know, I'm friends with her on Facebook. She said, but she doesn't remember me. And I'm like, really? And I said, well, I guess she doesn't have the Mr. and Mrs. Blank story to remember you by. She said, but I was at her house when her cat had kittens. I was there. You know, she had this little playhouse that had a church bell in it and Courtney's name and all this stuff. And I think it's funny how we all have these memories that we would think the other person would have, too. And they don't. Yeah. Surely you remember that. Yeah, surely. Uh, Yeah. But then here we can go talk about. How much of our memories are really true? Yeah. Oh, I know oftentimes, and I know we're getting off on a tangent here, but I know oftentimes I've run into people from years ago. Usually it's high school or something like that. Well, you and I just recently went to a party where a friend of mine turned 50. Okay. And oh, you, yeah. And you got to hear all these stories about me, right? Yeah. I bet you 40% of them, I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> so it makes you wonder, was it real? Or is this just an imprinted memory that they made? themselves or what happened yeah i mean a lot of the stuff i'm like oh yeah oh yeah i forgot about that but i remember it but some of the stuff i'm like i have no recollection of what you said i did <laughs> mm-hmm. so see david your memory might not be as good as you think it is oh i don't think my memory's good <laughs> <laughs> but anyway to get back to our guest briefly before we get into the interview mm-hmm. michael like a lot of us when they were dating it's like Things are good. Mm-hmm. This is hunky-dory. Yeah, I can do this. Of course, I laughed when he said hunky-dory because with my name being Lori, when people say, how are you doing? I'll say hunky-dory, just call me Lori. And they just think that's hilarious. Of course, I think it's funny, too. That's why I say it. Hmm. But anyway, he said he found out two years in that was not the case. Yeah. I, I, what is it about this two-year mark? It's the same thing. I, I know the, what it is. It's the terrible twos. It's the terrible twos of the blend. Mm-hmm. You have this euphoria kind of when you start blending, you have more grace, more patience. Like year two, it's like everybody just goes back crap crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's no honeymoon phase really in a blended family. Right. I think oftentimes we're, as you said, we're more forgiving. I think the problems are there, but they, they start mounting and it takes 18 to 24 months before they get to that breaking point. Well, and two, I think, Maybe the two-year mark, two-and-a-half-year mark is where people feel comfortable enough to show who they, how they're really feeling. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> but also, Michael's wife, I don't want to say was smart enough, but she was smart enough <laughs> not to go in and take over a parental role with his kids. But that did not remove the target from her back. Why? I guess we'll know in the interview. Because she's, quote, quote, a mom in the home. Well, here's what I wonder, and you may talk about this in the interview, but I really wonder, does it help the kids any because there's no there's no thoughts about, I hope my mom and dad get back together? You know, because when we talked with Ethan last week, a lot of what he said was, in the beginning, we thought that if we can get rid of Lori, that you and mom would get back together. Well, one of Michael's kids made the comment to him, said, you don't love her like you love mom, right? Uh, or like you did mom. Yeah. Well, yeah, as a kid, you wouldn't want him to. Right. I mean, mom's on a pedestal big time. Oh, yeah. Wow. So anyway, David, quit talking to me. I know. Let's get to the interview because I want to hear it straight from him. All right. All right. Well, first, let's talk a little bit about the Nacho Kids Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. 
In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit NachoKidsAcademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's NachoKidsAcademy.com. Today on the Nacho Kids Podcast, we have Michael. Hey, Michael, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you today? Doing well. Excellent. We finally got a man. Woohoo! <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. We really appreciate it. It's very rare that we have men that are willing to be guests on the podcast and share their experiences. Well, it's been an experience. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I'm sure you can. <laughs> so you've been blending about three years. That's correct. And you have a stepson that's 15. Yes, I do. A bio daughter that's 23, a bio son that's 22, and a bio son that's 17. That is correct. All right. Does everybody live with you? No, just my bio son who's 17 and the stepson. They both live with us. Okay. They're there all the time? Yeah, they are here all the time. My wife has full custody of her son, so he lives with us all the time. And then your children, their mother passed away? Yeah, their mother passed away in 2013, and at the time, my daughter was 17, my oldest son was 16, and my youngest son, um, who's 17 now, was 10. Wow. Yeah, it was a difficult time. It definitely was. Did you know your current wife prior to your wife passing away? I did not. I met her online through a dating site. Did you? Yeah. How awesome is that? It is pretty awesome. I mean, she swiped on me, so I had to respond, right? Of course you did. Yeah. So You said you've been blending about three years. Yep. We've been blending for about three years. Um, we dated two years before we got married. Okay. Um, we did the long distance thing. Uh, we lived about an hour and a half apart. So we would travel back and forth, to go out on dates and see each other for about two years before we got married. And so that was that was an interesting time because we were all getting to know each other and everything was hunky-dory back in those days. Isn't it funny how that happens? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, you know, during the dating period, um, we really felt like um, this was a, a good thing. We both asked our children, you know, hey, how do you feel about this? What are you thinking about it? Do you see anything that you say just no, no to? Or, or how are you okay? And of course, all responses were, oh, this is good. You know, we're fine with this. We like her. We like him. It seems like it's going to be good. And that's the way we went into it, this relationship, thinking everything's just going to be good. Mm -hmm. And we found out within the first couple of years that it just wasn't that way. The attitudes had changed. Um, thought processes, feelings, and emotions um, had changed. Right. So we've had we've been working through that. Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like when your current wife and you got married, do you think that she changed her role when she went to being your wife versus being your girlfriend? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. You know, because she then took on a an aspect of me and coming blended with me was was and that was hard enough just blending with your wife. Mm -hmm. And then, you, you know, to throw on kids on top of that made it extremely hard. But in the beginning, when my late wife, yeah, she took on a different role of being a, a complete wife versus the freedom of just being a girlfriend. Right. Did she start parenting the kids and telling them what to do, kind of running the house? 
we did not purposely take off that way. We, we threw in caution and we were trying to blend the best we knew how at the time. And so she did not take on the role of their mom. And we reiterated that with the kids that she's not your mom. We don't want you to compare her. I'm not trying to, I didn't try to marry your mom again. And um, so um, we reiterated that. And so she did not take on that role. Good. Yeah. But yet she still had the target on her back. Did she? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, let's talk about that because a lot of times we say, you know, if you remove yourself from trying to parent them and discipline them and tell them what to do, that you have a better chance of not having that target on your back. Right. We did what we knew to do as far as trying to parent together, co-parent. But at the same time, she did not get too involved in what was being handed down as far as discipline and what was going on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it was um, that that probably saved her from even having a bigger target on her back. But nonetheless, she still had it. There was still animosity from the kids towards her. Um, that, and this all happened a year after we had been married. Okay. It was after that that it became evident that that there was a lot of conflict in the house with her and the kid, my kids. Because at the time I had my 17-year-old, he was then 17, living with us. And so I had two bios and the stepson in the house. And the two bios were rubbing off on the stepson as far as them ganging up and trying to um, oust the mom. Ah, so they were trying to bury her in the backyard and not let anybody know. Right, right. Yep. And of course, I was oblivious to this. Um, and it could be just because I'm their dad and I didn't want to know that about them. It could be that I'm just a man. I'm not real sure. But I do know that I, you know, I was not privy to that and did not know this was happening behind my back or her back for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. How did you find out? Um, through a conversation with stepson. He had brought it up. And said that, you know, they were trying to, they were talking bad about, you know, his mom. And we said, well, how did that make you feel? What did you do about it? He said, well, nothing. He said, I didn't know what to do. So I just got quiet. Right. And of course, he's a lot younger than them. So, you know, intimidation probably played a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so, but he did share that with his mom. And so that's how we found out. Right. Of course, she knew, you know, being the mother in the house and the woman in the house, she knew what was, she knew something was going on. Right. She sensed it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what do you think or how did you feel when you found out that your kids were trying to get the stepmom booted out? I felt betrayed. I was I was very hurt because, I, first of all, I wouldn't have expected that from them. And so that's what hurt the most was not that they felt that way or that they you know had issues with her or with the relationship. I should say it's not really with her. Mm-hmm. It's with the relationship I have with her is that that really hurt me. And I really wanted to resolve that with them. And of course, they didn't want to resolve that. They just wanted to stay, stay angry and mad and upset. That was the beginning of us realizing that we needed to change. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. needed to change. My middle son began a lifestyle of not appropriate behavior non-acceptable um, things that he was doing, drinking, things like that, living and starting to begin a lifestyle of rebellion and just outlandish behavior. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things were just coming to a head at that time. But, you know, uh, I chalk some of that up to him just being a teenager. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, some of it's just him being a teenager, but a lot of it come to find out was him acting out on my uh, my relationship with Michelle, and that's my wife's name, Michelle, is having that relationship with her that he was against. He was against you having a relationship with her. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because come to find out that he just wanted, um, we had many conversations and many toe-to-toe confrontations about this, was that he just wanted us to go back to the way it was before I met her. Mm-hmm. When it was just he and I at home most of the time. Right. You know, and then now that changed and she's taken away my attention. And, and I guess in some sorts he was jealous. Right. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think the fact that they had lost their mom and I guess relied on you more and you had kind of been the mom and the dad as much as you could be after their mom passed, do you think that may have impacted the jealousy? Oh, yes, without a doubt. You know, um, my my late wife got sick and she was at home for a year. So mostly during that year, um, she was incapable of doing lots of things. So, you know, I was the parental figure for that year, even before she passed. Mm-hmm. So after she passed, um, you know, it was just us for three years before Michelle and I started um, going out and then dating, then going on and getting married. Right. So, yes, they had gotten accustomed to me just being the one there for them. And when you first introduced them to Michelle, I know y'all lived, you said, about an hour and a half apart. That's correct. So they probably didn't see her too often, I would think. No, you know, um, at at the most, we were seeing each other once a week, you know, um, just because of constrictions of work and life, travel, things like that. But, yeah, it was probably about once a week we would see each other, and, and even less because some, you know, a lot of times I would go see her and not take the kids. Right. So it was them only seeing her maybe twice a month. Mm-hmm. When you and Michelle got married, did you try to remember to spend time with your son um, like y'all used to a little bit, kind of have daddy-son time, or did it not even cross your mind? No, it did. It did. Um, one of the things I learned a long time ago was that, you know, you need to date everybody in your household. And so I would try to spend specific time with each of the kids throughout the week and do things specifically that they wanted to do and like to do um, in order to keep a relationship built between all of us. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was a intricate part of continuing on with that. And I still do that. Well, I'm really glad you do that because I know a lot of bio parents get so wrapped up in the step parent stuff going on that they don't see what's going on with their own kids as much. Right. And I can only imagine it probably would have been really traumatic for him if you would have just abruptly stopped spending a long time with him. Right. And, and even though I still tried to and, and went and did things with him, my relationship with Michelle still affected him. So, you know, even though you think you're doing the right thing all the time, it still doesn't account for what they're feeling inside. And so I've learned that, you know, throughout time now, through our hard times and through him at the time, going through all the things that he was going through and trying to figure out life and being a teenager and all that. I did insist on him going to counseling and we began a series of going to counseling with him and being part of it too, which seemed to help him at the time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of time, uh, what we see is that he's just maturing now and he's growing up. And I think somewhere in his spirit, when he finally decided that he just wasn't going to break up Michelle and I, he was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just think he just finally said, okay, you know, all my whining and complaining and yelling and screaming and 
threatening is just not going to break this relationship up. Right, because if they think it's working, they're not going to give up for sure. Right. And so when I say we went to, you know, went had toe-to-toe conflicts, those were the conflicts we were having. Mm-hmm. That was me assuring him that I'm not going to get a divorce. I'm just not. And, you know, if, if it comes down to it and he's, and at the time, like I said, he was 16. If he's going to go live with his grandmother, well, then that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because I just wasn't going to let him win this war. I'm very impressed, Michael. No, oh, thank you. It was hard, trust me. And a lot of prodding came from Michelle, too. Let me give props to her. Yes, please. Yeah, you don't want them to feel powerless, but you don't want them to feel like they have the power to ruin your relationship. Exactly. And break up your home. Exactly. And I'm sure that a lot of his concerns or issues were because maybe he was afraid Michelle was going to leave like his mom did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't consider that, but yes. Yeah, I just didn't want to deal with another loss. Right, right. Well, also during that time, um, his older sister, which we mentioned in the beginning, uh, she was 17 at the time when her mother passed. And we have an estranged relationship and have had one since then. She bought off into a different lifestyle and just went off on her own. And it is, of course, that has affected, you know, him and me and my whole, even this household, you know. It does. And that's what a lot of people think. Oh, well, when they turn 18, things change. They do change, but it's not without blended family struggles, which if you were a nuclear family, you'd still have nuclear family struggles after they're 18. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we label it as blended family struggles when they're really just family struggles. Right. Or even people living in the same household struggles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that relationship has hurt this family also. And not that it expires my time or effort a lot, but it does drain me emotionally. Because mm-hmm. it's weighing heavy on your heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So do you have any contact with her? Little. You know, I go and visit as much as I can, which is usually like once a month. But when my wife and I got married, we moved into her house. Okay. And I left my home there, and which my daughter lives in now. Okay. So your daughter stayed in the home that you lived in before. Exactly. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, I know where she is. We do text and talk, and I go and visit, try to visit at least once a month. But still, it's hard. Very, very hard. Do you know why that is? Yes, because, and I'll just be honest, she's a drug addict. Okay. And it just happened to be that when her mom was passing, her life just turned upside down and she turned to things and people that has set her on a path that she just can't seem to get um, to get grasp of. And I believe she has some mental health issues that she won't seek help with either. Right. And so, you know, between those two things is she just has a, a tough life right now. And there's nothing I can do for her. How old is she? She's 24. Well, I know this isn't really blended family related, but I feel the need to share a little bit of my story with my sister um, when you started talking about your daughter. My sister had a husband. Well, she had two children by one guy, and then she had one child by another guy. The youngest child, he went to go take her to his mom's to visit for like summer or something and never came back. Mm. And so my sister basically lost custody of her daughter because if she would go up there, there's no court order saying who had custody and he would have her arrested for trespassing. And by the time she got into court, she had used drugs to help her cope. Mm, Yeah. And it went from being a 
her way to cope to a very, very, very unsafe and unhealthy situation. Right. She always thought somebody was an angel coming to help her, and it was people taking advantage of her. Mm-hmm. And it is very hard watching somebody you love go through that because you just want to shake them and say, stop. Exactly. Exactly. You know, what happened to this person that, you know, was six feet tall and bulletproof, and all of a sudden you're this frail, damaged, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but individual. I mean, it's um, broken. I mean, we're all broken to a degree, don't get me wrong, but yes. but it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I was able to move my sister away from her environment. She finally wanted help. You know, she'd said she wanted help for years, but she finally took the steps to get help. And I was able to move her about a mile down the road from me. And two months later, she died. But she wasn't around the thugs and the drugs and the stealing and the, you know, all that mess. Right, right. Getting beat up by people you don't even know. Just crazy stuff. Yeah. So your daughter is going to be on my mind. Well, thank you. And I am going to be praying for her because I know way too many of my friends that have kids that are addicts. Right. And it's not that they're from poor families or even, you know, on the other side of the tracks kind of thing. It, it doesn't matter your race, your religion, your financial status. None of that matters. I, I agree. I mean, and first of all, I'm sorry that that happened to your sister. And I know what emotional toll it took on you. And, um, you know, I don't wish that on anybody mm-hmm. for any reason. Thank you. My um, daughter, pretty much the same thing. You know, her first year in college, she was um, Dean's List, made straight A's, was just wonderful person, and then quickly turned real fast. And the same thing, I just, I'm doing what I know to do and what I can do, what I feel like I can. And I was one of the type of parents that, because I was uh, I was in the ministry for a long time, mm-hmm. you just, and not in an arrogant way, but I always thought, I would see families and kids that that had drug problems and addictions and behavioral issues that I kept thinking, I'm thankful that my kids aren't going to be that way. They're not going to have those issues. And lo and behold, you know, here we sit. So, you know, it happens to every, you know, it can happen to anybody, anytime. Yeah, it can. And that's what I try to tell my son. And I am, I'm one of those, I'll preach to your kids about drugs and stuff. So don't let them around me. Yeah. Well, I, I do the same thing. I said, you know, show me one good thing that drugs and alcohol does for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'll consider talking to you about it. Exactly. I said, but I can tell you from my lifestyle before I was a Christian that alcohol never did. Nothing good came out of me drinking. Right. So, you know, if, if something did, then I could I could say, OK, you know, drinking's fine. But on a personal level, I don't believe that drinking is wrong. I believe getting drunk is wrong, but I don't believe drinking is wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Right. So anyway, that's what I try to teach my kids, too, is just that just stay away from that kind of stuff. And, you know, you'll avoid a lot of things in your life. There's a lot of traps out there. And that's one of them. Yeah. Don't be complacent about the people that you hang around with. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I remember thinking about my mom and how it had to hurt her to see her daughter destroy herself. Mm hmm. It's not only painful, but I felt like she could have easily felt like a failure. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, you blame yourself a lot of times for things that they're doing. Could I have stopped it? Should I have intervened? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I still fight the 
And, you know, and I told Michelle the other day, I said, there's still a part of me that wants to run over there and just grab her and bring her here. I said, but could you imagine what that would do here? Right. You know, it, you know, I said, I don't, I wouldn't call it self-sacrifice, but. Pretty close to it. Yeah. There's that dad in you that wants to go out and rescue. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the same time, if they don't want to be rescued, there's just nothing I can do. Exactly. We hear a lot of times in blended family talk about guilty parent syndrome. Oh gosh. Yeah. I think that there's guilty parent syndrome in nuclear families. Mm-hmm. I had guilty parent syndrome when I had my son 90% of the time. I still have it. And I can see where we beat ourselves up with that. And we see it, like I said, in the blends and stuff. But I think that when something like that happens with your kid, you end up with it even more. No, oh, I think so too. And then going through with with my son about his issues and wanting, you know, when we first got together and was blending that, you know, it, it was just so extreme because what I learned about myself was, first of all, I've always known that I was not the disciplinarian in the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can be, and don't get me wrong. There, there are plenty of times I've had to step in and do things, but my late wife was, um, Michelle is a very um, strict disciplinarian I'm the happy go happy go lucky kind of guy, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of men can be that way in the relationships as far as discipline is too. And so I found that out about me within myself, within those kids, that it was hard for me to say no to them because I was afraid I was going to lose them. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that they would turn their back on me and say, "Well." You know, you don't love me, so I'm going to go off and do something else and go somewhere else and live and do these other kind of things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's rooted in myself because I'm adopted. Oh. Oh, yeah. And there's a little boy inside me that felt felt the need to perform so that he did not get left behind. Right. And so it's still an issue that I deal with and I'm today and I'm 57 years old. I mean, of course, it's not like it used to be, but I find myself going back to that and seeing that in me and trying to work towards getting rid of that and finding that, you know, I'm just loved and accepted just the way I am. Right. It's hard sometimes to look inside ourselves and see the bad. Right. And see the good, see the flaws, see the strength, whatever it is. Looking at yourself and realizing I need to work on this or... I'm letting this bother me too much, even from that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful that I have a, um, a spouse that helps me in those areas. You glad she's mean so you don't have to be. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but she's loving and kind and to the point. And, um, you know, she points out things that need addressed. And I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what I like in my wife anyway, is a strong person. Right. So that it just it played well as far as my attractiveness to her. <laughs> so when she tells your kids to do something or tells you something wrong they did, does it annoy you? You know, it used to. Now, first of all, she doesn't discipline them. She doesn't discipline my son. Now, with her son, it's a different story, you know. But it used to when she would come to me because she learned nacho a while back and really instituted it as far as what she was going to do. And she came to me and said, I found this. I want to try it. I believe that it's going to help me tremendously. She said, I just, I need to get out from underneath this. Mm -hmm. And of course I didn't understand what she was talking about. And then she started implementing it with my son 
And it wasn't long after that that I started seeing results mm-hmm. in her attitude and how she felt and how he, he perceived her and how he just eased up on her and things like that. And so so she doesn't discipline him. And when she did start coming to me, when she instituted that and saying, well, you know, Matthew did this or I saw this and saw that and think you need to address it. Yeah, it bothered me in the beginning Yeah, because I thought she was out just to, well, I, I know she wasn't, but it felt like she was out just to get him. Right. You know? Right. And it's so true because nobody wants to hear anything negative or bad about their kid. Oh, no. And you're hypersensitive to it. And so when she does it three times, it's like she's done it all day long. Oh, right. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was tough in the beginning when she started that part of it, and just to try to understand that you know she's trying to point out things that that he could have help in and need helps in that um, she didn't want to address because she didn't want to um, estrange the relationship any more than it already was. Mm-hmm. Um, she's trying to build one with him and not tear it down. So right, yeah. So when she started that, it really, really change things in this household. I'm so glad. Yeah. And it's been about about a year now mm-hmm. since we started this. I just by nature kind of did it. I didn't say much about her disciplining her son and I surely didn't get involved in it. I just kind of, you know, she she seemed to have a good handle on it. <laughs> didn't need me to, uh-huh. to put my two cents in all the time. So um, I just by nature did it. But but when she really started doing that, it really changed things. And now, just for instance, I mean, it just, it blew us off the couch the other night. When my son came in the room, talked to us for a little bit, and he was leaving to go back to his room, he said, oh, I love you guys. And I thought, wow, he included her in that. You felt like you won the lottery. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, we were high-fiving and said, oh, <laughs> let's go celebrate, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Cake and ice cream. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it has changed us. It really has. I'm so glad because it's amazing the difference it can make. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now when she told you about it, did she refer to it as nachoing? Yeah, she did. She did? Yeah. She first came to me and she said, I want to nacho Matthew. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And so, you know, she said, I've been reading. and, And of course, she's that type of mom. She wants to know everything. And so she started reading about nachoing and you guys for a while, then came to me and started, she said, I don't know if you're for it or not, but I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And then after a while I said, okay, I'm in now. And so it has, it has really worked for us and her relationship with my son. At first you thought it was crazy though, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, cause I, you know, I'll tell you this, Lori, when I look back now in some aspects of our, my relationship with her, if I'd have known what I was going to have to go through, I may not have gotten married. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was that hard. Yes. I mean, it just really was. And I lost a wife, you know, mm-hmm. through cancer. So for me to say that, I'm like, wow, that was extremely hard. And, and so I really appreciate the effort that she put in to learning about step parenting and initiating this and beginning this process of trying to build a relationship with him in order to make things better. Yeah. Cause you know, everybody thinks it's easy to, to nacho. Oh yeah. No, it is not. Especially when you're like your wife is and you're kind of outspoken. Yeah. Yeah. And she wants to say something, you know, when she sees something, mm-hmm. 
Um, and um, that's what I appreciate about her. That's why I married her. So it was hard for her to step back yes. and say, okay, I'm going to try this process and I'm going to believe in it. And we're going to see where this goes. And it has taken us a long way. I'm so glad that she was so blunt with you about it. Yeah. You, know, you may not agree with it, but I'm going to try it. And yeah. mm-hmm. I'm sure you didn't get on board with it till you started seeing the benefits. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Because I was, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the eternal optimist. And so when, of course, when I thought we we're going to get married, we we're going to be the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you find out, you know, in the very beginning, it's the honeymoon time, you know, you think, oh, this is pretty good. And then later on, it changes. Mm-hmm. And it was hard, really hard for a long time. And I would say this, you know, if I was going to go back, I would have done as much premarital counseling in the aspect of blended family as I could have before I walked into it again. Yes. You know, I, I wish somebody was out there premarital counseling blended families and talking about talking about it in depth. Talking about the truth yeah. of how hard it really is and not sugarcoating it because you don't want to freak people out. Right, right. You know, David and I have talked about doing like a nacho kids for pre-nachoers or something, you know, to... Um, yeah. Help people before, like you said, they get into the blend too deeply before they have to get to the stage that we were, where we were almost divorced because of it. But you know, as well as I do, that people don't look for help when they don't need it. No, exactly. Even though we did research and stuff before we got married and talked to counselors, I mean, it still wasn't like somebody saying, when the stepkid says something bad about your kid, how are you going to react? Right. I mean, that's kind of how it needs to be broken down with examples of situations you're going to encounter because you think you're going to react one way and then reality comes and your own guilty parent syndrome kicks in and it's, you are comparing the stepkid and the bio kid. And of course you don't love the stepkid like your own. So you favor your bio kid and yeah, I mean, you couldn't have convinced me of that in the beginning. I know. You know, in the beginning, I thought we're all going to love each other just like we were one family to begin with. Right. And you don't. The truth is you don't. Why do you think that we feel that way or we expect that to happen? I mean, because in reality, it's not a nuclear family. Why do we, in our minds, think it, that it'll function as one? Well, I think I think it's just our false expectations that this what we crave is that mm-hmm. we crave that nuclear family that that is you know we're all loving and caring and kind to each other and we would never say anything or do anything to harm each other and I believe those intentions are good and we all want that but the truth is relationships are messy mm-hmm. and they're hard and people have needs and love needs that we can't always meet. And that through all those, all those situations that it's just not going to be that way. Right. It's it's just not. I mean, we're going to have to learn to love each other differently, but with the same intensity, it's just different. Right. I remember thinking that, not that I thought we would be a nuclear family, but that we would, you know, like you said, just be kind of a normal family, I guess, except for with us, the kids would go to the other parent every other weekend or every other week. We weren't blind to the struggles that we had read about or thought we would encounter, but nothing could compare us for what we went through. It's like going to Disney World and getting on a kiddie ride and it turns into being one that flips you upside down all around and slingshots you out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So would you say the hardest part of your blend was your bio son's behavior? The middle bio son, he was the most challenging? 
Yeah, because it put a strain on my relationship with with my wife, put on you know strain in every aspect. But yeah, I mean, it came to the point where he he tried to harm himself too. Oh no! To get attention to say I want out. You know, that's what he was trying to say is I want out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, one thing that that we learned too is that they have a voice, but it really doesn't get heard. Right. I mean, it gets heard, but that's not the most consideration you have to put into the relationship is what they believe mm-hmm. or what they think. So I think to me, listening to them and letting them know that they're heard helps tremendously. But at the same time, they can't run over everything. Right. Yes. You know? That's what I was going to say is you can allow them to be heard without them controlling the situations or right. always getting their way. Maybe if he had talked to you more about how... He was struggling with Michelle being there, and maybe that would have helped a little bit. I, you never know. Well, when it reached that point, he did not have a problem sharing that at all. Okay. And I was thankful for it because I did want to hear his heart and want to know that that's what he was thinking. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't going to change course. Right. And so the thing, the only thing is, I said, you know, it's, how can we help him understand that this course isn't going to change, but yet he's valuable and I want to hear his heart and I want to know what he thinks about this. But at the same time, we're just not going to change. And that's when we decided, and of course, him trying to harm himself sure made counseling a priority. Mm-hmm. And so, and through that, he was able to talk through some issues. And, and then, um, you know, the council would bring in us as a family and talk about it too. So, He's matured a lot since then, but he was able to express himself to us too mm-hmm. and be able to tell Michelle, I just didn't like you, you know? Yeah. And that's okay. It is okay. Yeah. Michelle's a big person. You know, it's okay to hear that mm-hmm. um, because then how can you fix a relationship if you don't know that about each other? Right. Exactly. So if your son would have came to you and said, if you don't make her leave, I'm going to move out. I'm going to go live in the streets in my little cardboard box. What would your response have been? Well, I can tell you what it was because he did do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't matter, son. I mean, it's not going to change. She and I got married because we love each other and we believe this is a God thing and this is what we're supposed to do. And we want to be together. Mm -hmm. Um, We just want to be together. And so that's not going to change. If you feel like you have to go and you're going to do all that kind of stuff, I hear you and I understand, but I'm not going to leave. We're not going to separate because of this. I'm not going to go live in one place and she live in another and you live with me and her son live with her. And then I said, that's just not going to happen. You know, it's so important that you have that stance. We talk about all the time that you cannot be one foot out the door or even a toe out the door with your relationship with your significant other and expect it to work through this blend. Right. Right. If you've always got in the back of your head, well, I'll just leave, then you know what? Go ahead and pack your stuff and go because that's where you're going to end up. Yeah. Don't waste any more time. And Michelle and I will both tell you that it's not that that thought never went through our mind. Gosh, this would just be so much easier. Mm-hmm. It would just be so much easier if I moved out and lived down the street. We just kind of dated versus being married and living together. Right. I mean, we both saw valid points in that. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we wanted. Right. So we just couldn't do that. Yeah. David had mentioned when we were at our worst, maybe if I moved out and we just kind of kept dating, not got divorced, but, you know, just just separate the house for a little while, calm things down. Yeah. And I knew if I left, I wasn't coming back. If I was packing up my stuff, it surely wasn't going to pack it up to bring it back here later. Right. And at the same time, 
if my son came to me and said, if you don't leave David and whatever, then I'm going to go live with my dad. That would be such a hard thing for me. Not because I don't love my husband, but I love my son and I'm responsible for him. You know what I mean? It's, yep. I'm sure the proper way to answer that would be, well, let's figure out why you feel that way and try to make things better, of course. But mm-hmm. if it boiled down to it and it was like, one of us has to go. Dude, I don't know which one I, I do. I'd pick my son. I would have to stay. David would have to go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I might edit this part out there, Michael. <laughs> he definitely threatened me that way. And he he brought up some great points, too. He said, you know, you know, we live in Tennessee now, but we lived in North Carolina at the time. He said, you know, all my friends are there. You know, I went to school with all my life. And everybody I know, all our extended family, everybody's there. And it would just be better for me to continue growing up there. Yeah. And and you're like, well, that's valid. I understand that. I get that. I, you know, mm-hmm. those are the kind of things I want for you. And so, but in me have to go, well, I understand. I hear you, but still the answer is no. You know, that's just not the way it's going to roll out. And, and life's that way, Lori. You know, there are things we can't control that we have to learn how to deal with. And I'm not saying that he should just have to deal with me being married. Because he's part of this family. Right. But at the same time, he's got to know that I'm just not going to waver just because he wants to. Right. I know you said you moved to her house, but it didn't click with me until just now that, yeah, your son kind of uprooted his whole life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know, I'm sure that makes a big difference versus somebody moving, you know, across town, you know, but still going to the same school or whatever. Well, we got married in June, and then in October, we had a job transfer. Ah. So we had to uproot again and move to another part of Tennessee, which we were there about a year, then came back here. And so he's gone through a lot of changes in a short amount of time. Yeah. So y'all moved three times in three years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Holy moly. He was fit to be tied. Yeah. But he sure has seemed to make a different transition. And like I said, he's, you know... A lot of it had to do with Michelle just standing back and just letting things happen and let me handle things. And even though she may not agree with everything I chose. Yeah. And not telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But yet it has helped the relationships in this family tremendously. And so I applaud her. I mean, it, it takes a lot for someone like that just to step back. Yeah. She's an awesome person. Yeah. She really is. And she has come a long way. And I was so glad when I asked for somebody to do this podcast that she volunteered you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what advice would you say is the best advice that you have been given about the blend? Well, I think for me, and I forgot where we read it, and it just, gosh, it's changed my outlook on my stepson, on my son, and how people, how Michelle looks at my son. And that is, you know, we look at our kids through the lens of love, and we look at our stepchildren through the lens of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I found myself looking at my stepson through those lens for so long that it was hard for me to break that and come into the the point that he's just a child. Right. He's just a little boy and that he doesn't need me to to act like he should be responsible for the world. Mm -hmm. And I know I did that to him. I know that there are some things I did along the way that were just, I wish I could take back and some attitudes I had towards him. And and a lot of it had to do with, he is just so different from my kids. 
Well, you know, we haven't talked a lot about your relationship with your stepson. Tell us a little bit about that, how it started off, how it's changed over time. Yeah, he, um, like I said, he's polar opposite from my kids. My kids are, are very athletic and social and, you know, want to be part of everything and do everything. And he's very much an introvert, my stepson. Mm -hmm. Um, He very much keeps himself. He's very happy doing the things that he likes to do. And he is very, very smart. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mensa smart. So a lot of the conversations I had with him when he was younger, say 12 years old, it was like talking to a 20 year old. Right. So that made it even harder for me because I would think that he's a lot more responsible than he really is. And so I expected him to do things in a more responsible way. So I pressured him to act more like an adult. And I know that put a strain on my relationship with him. And, you know, he would go to my wife and say, you know, I just don't know if B likes me. And I'm sorry, he calls me B. B? Yeah. Um, He said, you know, mom, you're A, uh, Mike's B, and I'm C. Okay. He used to say that when we were dating. Okay. So the name B has stuck with me for the last, you know, five years. Uh And it's, you know, it's endearing to me. So Yeah, it's cute. Um, so he would he would say, B, I just don't think B likes me very much. You know, he's always asking, making me do this and trying to do that, and trying to do that. And so when my wife would come to me and say, you know, I think you're a little hard on him. And I know it was hard for her to have that conversation with me. And I appreciate that she did do those things. And then just through that little phrase that I caught, that little nugget, it really has changed my outlook on him and say, you know, he's just a boy. And He's just a boy who's just trying to get through life, and I don't need to be hard on him. I need to try to look through those lens of love at him and try to accept him just the way he is. Right. And that has helped me and his relationship tremendously. I know Laura Petherbridge uses that phrase a lot, and I love it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's where you read it? Yep. But sometimes I also think that we look at the stepkids through a lens of a microscope uh-huh. because we're going to pick out every little thing they do that we feel is wrong. Oh gosh. Yes. Yes. When we first got married, um, you know, some of the things that Michelle and I would have conversation about is our kids. Of course we were trying to brag on ourselves and say, Oh, well, my kids know how to do their laundry. Well, my kids know how to do this and my kids know how to do that. And then when we all get together and get married and are living together, it's apparent that some of those were just, I won't say not true. It's that the child had done the laundry one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> what Michelle didn't know was that grandma was living at the home and she would do his laundry for him. Oh. Um, anyway, so, you know, you would microscope that and look at that and go, well, gosh, he really doesn't know how. And, you know, what else, you know, about him that is so, so wrong? And I found myself judging him like that. And I hated myself for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to come to grips with, he's much more than that. Right. And I need to accept him for who he is and not try to make him into one of my kids. Right. And look at him, like you said, who he is, even outside of the fact that he's your wife's son. Right. Now in their relationship, my wife is divorced. Bio dad is still, he still lives in town. Um, and he used to get him every other weekend. But now that he's grown, he's 15 now, they just go out to eat maybe once a week or something like that now. So, and he's never caused a trouble for us. Oh, good. Yeah. He is the, um, 
what what do they call it? The um, he's the fun times dad. Yeah, Disney dad. Disney dad. Yeah, he's the Disney dad, and they go off and do all these wonderful things and spend all this great money and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, trying to feed him, clothe him, then uh-huh. things like that, you know. And so you fight you. You do feel that animosity towards him sometimes. Yes. You know, how come you don't get to discipline him or look at his grades or, or deal with this, his attitude and this kind of stuff? Because he is a teenager. so he's- Yeah. It's like, must be nice to be Disney dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I found that, um, and Michelle would share with you, that her struggle with my late wife is that she always felt like she was competing with a ghost. Yes. Because there was, a, you know, there were times when when she felt like, well, I'll just never live up to their mom uh-huh. you know, in your relationship with her. Because one time my son said, Dad, I just don't think you love Michelle like you did mom. <gasps> and I said, you're right. You're exactly right. I said, I don't. I said, our relationship is different. She's different. I'm different. Everything is different. But do I love her with the intensity that I did your mom? Without a doubt. But no, she'll. Ne- I don't, I'm not going to love her the way I did your mom. So I understand what you're saying, but um, you need to know that there's no difference in how I feel about her versus how I felt about your mom. Right. She's just a different person. And um, so, yeah, he said he didn't say that to her. He said that to me. And um, and so in a lot of aspects, Michelle felt like she was competing versus to, I mean, competing against a ghost. Right. You know, of course, the kids, what they saw was all they remembered all the good things about mom. Oh, yeah. They never remembered her popping their tail. Oh, yeah. You know, there's plenty of things that they don't remember. And so when I go back to Michelle and I said, you know, honey, it just wasn't the fairy tale relationship. It was a real gritty marriage, just like anybody else's. Mm-hmm. We had ups and downs. We had arguments and fusses, just like anybody else that the kids saw. And we're part of. Mm-hmm. So they just don't remember that. Right. Well, it's probably a good thing, though. Well, yeah. You want to have good memories more than bad memories. <laughs> but it, it didn't help Michelle. Right. You know, them thinking that. So she had to fight through that issue. Yeah, I can't imagine. I know that several people that are widows or widowers, especially like with Facebook and stuff. You'll see them post, you know, happy heavenly anniversary to the late wife or husband. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you can tell they feel obligated to mention the current wife or husband. So it'll be, you know, happy heavenly anniversary to, you know, so-and-so. Um, don't worry. Fred's taking care of us while you're gone or something. Yeah. It's like they feel like they can't just miss that person and still love that person. Right. Separately than the current relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I went through that and understand that. My biggest... Um, question after my wife passed um, was, when do you take your ring off? I know it seems trivial, but to me, you know, the, r- the ring signifies that you're married. Right. And then, so when you take it off, are you you signifying that you're glad this is over and, you know, she's gone? Right. Or at what point in time do you move on with your life? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because people are going to judge you regardless of whether it's one hour or a century. Exactly. So what did you decide? Well, you know, I don't remember when, but it was it was probably about six months after I just said, okay, you know, I'm just not gonna not gonna live that anymore, and I, it's just time for me to move on. And I know that I'm supposed to be married and have a happy life, and I'm still young, and that means there's someone else out there, right? And it's okay. A lot of times we hear how the stepkids will say, "Well, my mom does this," 
Did your kids do that a good bit around Michelle, even though their mom had passed away? No, they really didn't. I, I guess probably the thing that they com- they compared Michelle most to, to my late wife, is cooking. Really? Yeah, I mean, and I don't know why cooking. I mean, obviously it meant something to them, but um, I, I didn't get it. Still don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I'm not talking about one's a bad cook and one's a good cook. Right. They just cook different things. So they would, you know, say, well, mom used to cook this a lot. Mom used to cook that a lot. Ah. And never in a way I perceived as, well, you know, you don't cook the way mom does. Right. It was, hey, we used to have this a lot and we used to have that a lot. Right. But then again, I'm not Michelle, so I don't know how she perceived that all the time. Yeah. It depends on how sensitive she is to the subject. Uh Uh-huh. And if the stepkids are making her feel like she's competing with a ghost and... I'm sure that even if you don't make her feel that way, I'm sure she still kind of feels that way in your relationship, too. So, you know, like I said, I guess it's just how sensitive she is to the topic. Some things can bother us and some things can't. And one day it will, one day it won't. Right, right. We had talked to a lady one time that she had split up with her husband. They got divorced and then he died. Mm -hmm. And then she met this other guy and he had kids. So she moved to be with him. Uh Uh-huh. And she had really bad guilty parent syndrome for moving the kid away from his family and stuff like that. And feeling like that the child's missing out, not having a fatherly bond with the stepdad. Mm, Okay. Did you feel that way with your son? Like you just felt horrible for the circumstances he'd went through and you like maybe babied him too much? Um, I wouldn't say babied him. But I would definitely say I overlooked a lot of behaviors because of that. Right. Um, I found myself, when you mentioned something like that, um, not having the bond, you know, between the paternal parent mm-hmm. and now the step parent, is that I, I found myself, um, because our stepson lives with us, he has a very close bond with his mother. They're very cuddly, huggy, kissy, mm-hmm. you know, like to sit on the couch and you know, get under a blanket together and watch TV. Even though he's 15, he's still there. They just have that kind of relationship. <laughs> I, I have to interrupt you one second. Please don't forget where you are. Okay. But I just want to say, if you posted that in a Facebook group and switched the genders uh-huh. and said, you know, bio dads always cuddled up on the couch with princess stepkid, dude, they would have a field day with that. Oh, yeah. About how that's inappropriate. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> And I agree. I mean, what were we? What, we were watching something the other day, and I said, you know, if the roles were reversed, it would be inappropriate, right? Uh, and so when I saw their relationship, and it's been that way, you know, ever since I've known them, I was I found myself hurting for my son Matthew because he no longer had that, right? You know that that aspect was gone for him, and that and I know Michelle, you know, wants to be that for him, but she knows her boundaries. And says, you know, I just can't force myself to be that. And he's not going to accept it. And he's not going to want it. And so I, um, my heart bled for Matthew. Right. You know, that was gone for him. And that, he, you know, he, he just didn't get that opportunity anymore. I've questioned him. I said, how does that make you feel when you see that? He said, oh, no, it doesn't bother me. I'm okay. You know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, I'm, you know, maybe I'm the oversensitive one when it comes to that. And I think, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if Matthew had that too? Right. I think a lot of times we think we know how they're feeling about things because Mm -hmm. we're thinking that should bother them or that's got to bother them. Right. And sometimes it doesn't. I think we assume those 
hurts and pains just thinking that they're supposed to have them. Yeah. And that's what I found myself in my stepson's relationship with his bio dad, you know, because he's Disneyland dad. And, you know, stepson will come home with guitars and all kinds of stuff that dad goes out and buys him. And I had to ask my my son that. I said, how does that make you feel that he can come home with all this stuff? And, And he goes, oh, that doesn't bother me either. He said, I know you love me. And I said, I do. I said, but, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, I want to check in with you how you feel about that. Yeah, because it is kind of crappy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we see it a lot. Mm -hmm. Even at Christmas and birthdays and things like that. People try so hard to be fair in the blend that it creates chaos. Uh Your son has the best approach of, well, you know. Maybe it's nice he gets those things, but I know you love me. You don't have to buy me those things. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, he might have a day where he's like, huh, must be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Must be nice to go to two homes and get two Christmases and two birthdays. and Right. Yeah. You said that it hurt you that your son didn't have that because his mom's passed away. Uh A friend of my son's mother passed away a couple years ago. And he was spending the night with us. So they were probably 11 at the time, I guess. And I remember I went in there to say prayers with my son and then, you know, just kiss him goodnight, tell him I love him. Mm-hmm. Well, as I was doing that, I was thinking, I cannot leave this other little boy out. How sad that he doesn't have his mama to kiss him goodnight. Right. You know, we do tend to get so wrapped up in our own hurt and our own things that we feel like we're being mistreated or not treated fairly about with the whole blend when we do forget sometimes to remember where these kids are coming from. Right. They're coming from a broken home of one way or another to be in a blend. Right. Michael, we really appreciate you being a guest on our podcast. Oh, well, you're welcome. I'm glad I could be that for you. I'm sure that I could keep you talking at least another hour because you've been through a lot. You've had a lot of experience in the short time frame that you've been blending. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something, Lori, that you guys have inspired, helped inspire us to do. Of course, like I said, I was in the ministry for a long time. And part of our small groups program in our church was was a blended family small group. But I, you know, of course, at that point in time in my life, I didn't see the need for it. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it. I was oblivious to all that, you know, and I'm glad, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm glad they have a, a group and, and all this. Mm-hmm. But with 50% of the marriages, you know, ending up in divorce and remarriage and 75% of those being divorced again, it has inspired us and you have inspired us that we want to, you know, start doing a small group in our home of just support, you know, just to be there with each other, maybe go through um, a curriculum, but just to say, you know, you're not alone, that we know it's hard. That is amazing. Um, You know, we want to be part of the solution and help people. Um, we don't have all the answers. <laughs> Definitely. We don't know. We're learning just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But um, and part, and, and in part of that, like you said, is the, the um, pre-blended families, too, and try to reach out to them. Right. That is awesome. I'm so glad that y'all were going to do that. Yeah, we are, too. We're, we're excited about it. I know um, a lot of churches, that's still one of the things that they really don't like to talk about for some reason. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And we had originally talked to a preacher friend that David had about us having like a conference at his church. Mm -hmm. And he said, I would love if y'all did that because when people come to me with that blended family stuff, I don't know what to tell them. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I've married my share of people. And if someone would have came in to me and said, Hey, we're a blended family and we need help, you know, 
with this, I would have had to refer to them someone else because I wouldn't have had a clue either. Right. And so, you know, like I said, we just want to have some options out there and some help for some people that are looking for it. And, um, you know, because we need the support too. Yes. Not just for them, it's for us too. Mm-hmm. You know, we need the support of others that are around us that are walking through it that um, we have a shoulder to cry on too. Right. The thing is, you have to be really careful not to pick up their pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Transferring. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want to have post-traumatic stepmom disorder or stepdad disorder (laughs) when you're talking to these people. Because all of a sudden, you'll be mad at the stepkid for something that the other stepkid that's not even in your family did. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) It'll bring back those memories in your life. Whoa, wait a minute. Calm down. (laughs) But that's awesome. I don't think that there will ever be too much support for blended families. Right, right. And we all need to know we're not alone. And everybody feels like they're alone. Yeah. I was telling you that the other day. I said, you ever feel like you're you're just alone in this? I mean, we have each other, but outside of our little group of friends, and, you know, we have a lot of Christian friends, but they're not dealing with blended family stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then there's some blended family stuff that I don't want to be involved in. Right. <laughs> like, I don't need to know that. Yeah. And the other thing that I told her too, I said, you know, I just don't want to get involved in people's bad relationships. Right. You know, I, I want to be there for the blended family, not because they, they just have a bad marriage. Right. And just because they're blended, they think that's the problem is the blendedness when it's not, it's the marriage. And, you know, they need to work to get on their marriage first before they work on their blend. Right. And I'm not saying I don't want to be part of that solution, but you know, that's not the, that's not the crux of this group. Right. You make it what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could branch out and talk about all kind of stuff, you know, with Nacho Kids of different things that people go through, but we want to focus on teaching people the Nacho Kids method. Yeah. Right. Right. That's where my focus is because that's what saved me. Oh, yeah. And I, I promise you that's what has helped us, especially Michelle. And I wish she could have been here today to share with you. Um, our schedules are right now are backwards. You know, I work so many evenings. She works so many days. And it's just hard for us to get together and do something like this. Well, I'm going to get her on here. So. Oh, yeah. She, she's, she's a gem. She's a gem. Oh, I can't wait. I can just tell from her personality and comments I see and replies and stuff. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that she told you about Nacho Kids because a lot of times the step parent is afraid to even say the word Nacho. (laughs) They'll say, no, I didn't tell him or... Well, I told him there's this thing that I wanted to try, but I wasn't about to tell him, you know, it's Nacho Kids because then he'd get mad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad she found you guys. Me too. Uh, And I'm glad for you guys too, that you're helping others. And we're glad that you're going to be helping others too. And we wish you the best. If there's anything we can do to help you, let us know. Okay. We will. Thank you again, Michael, for being a guest on the Nacho Kids podcast and participating in the month or two months of men. We're not sure how many yet. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope I'm just one of many men that continue to to have input and want to be able to talk about what's going on in their lives and in their blended families. So thank you for having me. Thank you again, and you tell that lovely wife of yours that we're going to record with her, too. All right, I will. All right, thank you. All right, thanks, Lori. Have a good day. You too. I definitely have to applaud Michael, and I believe I tell him this several times during the interview, that... It's great that he's willing to admit that he's not the disciplinarian Mm -hmm. and that he doesn't want to tell the kids no because he has a fear of losing them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he probably has guilty parent syndrome 
to the second degree mm-hmm. because their mother died. Now, you, you mentioned he's afraid of losing them. I mean, they can't leave and go to their mom. So it, you're talking about like... Well, they're them. older. Okay. Yeah. Like his daughter did not move with him. She stayed in the house that he had with his wife. So he doesn't have really a good relationship with her. Mm. She has some drug issues. I don't know that parents ever get over the, I don't want to lose my kid feeling. Right. Like, I just don't think it happens. Maybe, but because you still want a relationship with them. Even if they're 20, 30 years old, whatever, 40 years old, you you don't want to lose them in your life. Right. Well, the only child that lives at home with him now is the bio son that's 17. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's had some issues, too. And, of course, another thing that Michael did that I think is to be applauded is he made him go to counseling. Yeah, that's good. Because, you know, we think that we can help our kids through life. Mm -hmm. But there are things that happen that we don't know what to do. Lots of things that happen we don't know what to do. Right. And all you want to do is fix things for them. But, as Michael said, you can't fix what doesn't want to be fixed. That's true. And I didn't mention this in the intro, but Michael is also adopted. Wow. So that might kick his guilty parent syndrome to the third degree. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Yeah. So you've got a man that was adopted, that married his wife and had three kids. She dies of cancer. He wasn't the disciplinarian when they were together. Mm -hmm. And then now he's married a lady that is very disciplined with raising her own child. So... Again. Complicated. Yes. Life can be complicated. If Michael, and I don't know this at all, but if he has some kind of deep-seated feelings of, um, I don't know, loneliness because he he feels abandoned maybe by his parents, then I wonder when his wife passed, does, does he go through that feeling again of abandonment? Because, right. Because they say a lot of times our reactions to things in life is because of our past traumas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just... Just that abandonment of her passing could have brought up a lot of challenges for him to deal with. Right. Wow. And Michael does say that when Michelle started nachoing, he saw improvements. Of course. She went to him and said, I want to nacho Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? Yeah, he's like, what, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Food and my son. But also, his son threatened to leave if Michelle didn't leave. Wow. And guess what Michael said? She's not going anywhere. Good job, Michael. Yeah, because I said during the interview, you'd be gone. <laughs> <laughs> that if it came down to you or my son, it'd be bye-bye, David. Well, I can't say that because I was almost put in that situation. And you and I were not on the best of terms at that time. But I still wouldn't do that. I still wouldn't say, okay, well, fine, if that's the choice we're making. Um, but my kids weren't 17 either. So, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, you know, I remember Jackson. There were times that he'd get mad, and he's like, I just want us to go back to our old life. <laughs> mm. And the good thing is, usually when he was feeling that way, I wasn't. So it wasn't where my response was, yeah, me too, baby. We're just going to, you know, leave. It was more of, we're all trying to adjust, and I understand this is different for you, and blah, blah, blah. And then try to point out the good things about him having brothers and a stepdad. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Michael also says that he thinks that you need to date everyone in the household. And no, not in a pervertish way, <laughs> but that you need to build relationships with these people. So like you and Jackson went to Home Depot yesterday. Mm-hmm. That was great. Well, I don't know that he would think so, but 
it was great for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, we we do things together sometimes. Right. And I think it's funny, Michael and I also talk about how everybody thinks they'll be the Brady Bunch, but everybody forgets to buy an Alice. Mm-hmm. Y'all, I'm telling you, we need to find a way to make it where when you are a blended family, you get an Alice. That ain't going to happen. Closest you're going to get to that is the Nacho Kids Academy. Well, really, if we could revamp the family court system, people might have the money to buy an Alice. <laughs> this is very true. The money that you waste fighting each other in court, you could have an Alice. So let's not get started on the family court system. That's our next interview next week, which is the long one. Oh, boy. Yeah. I swear me and this guy could have talked half a day. Oh, I'm sure. About the family court system. I am sure. And I'm telling you, if I ever get enough energy, that's what I'm going to work on next. Revamping the family court system. Oh, you don't have enough time in your life to do that. I might. We should get a family court judge on the interview. They can be anonymous. Huh. I'm, I'm sure we can get a family attorney. Well, you know, one of my ex-attorneys is a family court judge. <laughs> there you go. But I didn't like him very much. Uh, I bet not. Because he thought everybody should just be able to get along. Because he didn't understand narcissistic people. Maybe because he is one. No. I liked him as a person and his values and things like that. But he just thought, oh, well, you know, if Bio Dad wants to pick little Johnny up from daycare and take him to dinner on a Tuesday, then that should be fine. Well, yeah, it should be. If you can say, sorry, Bio Dad, little Johnny has a hair appointment today. What about tomorrow? Without Bio Dad going, this in the court papers, I get him. Hmm. So anyway. Anyway. Else. It stressed you out just talking it about did. it. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, and then we're going to stop, is Michael talks about the relationship that his wife has with her bio son, how they'll cuddle on the couch and watch TV together, and how it hurts him because his son does not have that. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of when one of Jackson's friends came to spend the night and his mom had died. I know you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took Jackson in and we said prayers and I kissed him on the forehead. And I remember thinking, this poor little boy on the floor doesn't have his mama to do these things. Yeah. And it broke my heart. So, of course, you know, I went over there and kissed him on the head, too, and told him I loved him, too. And I do love him. Yeah, but he's probably like, it should be my mom doing that. Get away right. from me, woman. It's almost like, you do just, you do those things in hopes that it fills a void that they have? Or, and, does it, or does it just stab them in the heart? Right. Oh, it breaks my heart. Anyway. Yeah. I think you stabbed him in the heart. David, stop <laughs> making me feel Terrible like Terrible woman. Oh, my gosh. The last thing that I want to say is Michael and his wife have started talking about having small groups for blended families. Oh, awesome. I was so excited. And he used to be in the ministry also. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we wish them the best. And we are going to have his wife on at some point. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Get the other side of the story. That's right. That's what we should start doing. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, David. <laughs> the other side of the story. We have some surprises coming up. Oh, really? Yes, because we have a couple that was a member of the Academy. Okay. That I reached out to the guy. I was like, hello, I need a man for the, my, my month of men. And he said he would do it. And he said, hey, you ought to interview the wife, too, to get her side of the story. Oh. And I said, well, yeah, because I've been already thinking about this. So they're going to do it. So we need to have a month of couples. (gasps) David, you're such a genius. I know. I love you today. (laughs) All right, y'all. We're going to quit yapping. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us today for our interview with Michael. And um, it was a great one. Good stuff. 
So don't forget to join us again next week when we have a new show, talking to a new person about all the craziness in our month of men. <laughs> Hope everybody's having a great new year. Join us again next week when we have another fantastic podcast. And remember, life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.